into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Goddamn America. Hello, I'm Jake Flores. It's two in the afternoon. Alex Patak is here. What's up, everybody? It's podcast time. Anders Lee is here. Anders Lee here, 2.28. That's right. I lied. It's 2.28 p.m. specifically. You're at home. Reset your clocks. Yeah, this is a great podcast to set your clock by. Yeah. Whatever time we say it is, that's what time it is. That's right. So go on poddam, be on poddam time. It's a much better mindset. That's when you show up like extra late to work. You're sorry, right. I'm on poddam time. <laughs> you say yeah. that. Poddam late today. Take it up with the boys. <laughs> we we just, should do more podcasts where we just count the seconds down to a minute. That's something I've been pitching a lot in the room. Yeah, well, I insist that we don't start on a thirteen on minute thirteen of an hour. Mm. That has been complicating reasons. for us. Yeah, before. which doesn't really make sense because I, for some reason, am okay with living on Thirteenth Street. Not to dox myself, but I, in other words, superstitious I, man, Anders. Yes, I thought I was normal. I thought everybody was like, "Don't pick up a coin if it's heads down, or don't uh-huh. let a black." Cat cross you, but apparently this is not as common. Mirrors, uh, f- ladders. Mir- well, yeah, ladders and mirrors. I'm fine with. Um, okay. It's just black cats, coins, the number thirteen. I should get over thirteen though, because I live on Thirteenth Street. It doesn't make any sense. When it's like my brain has tricked itself into being okay with that, but not the time thirteen. If I see a post with twelve likes, I don't like it because I don't want to curse it with really? the thirteenth like. Yep. I feel that way when it when a post has sixty nine likes and I don't want to like undo the internet's favorite joke by right. adding a seventieth one. You when, gotta screenshot it and comment nice. I know that shit sucks, right? That's like you've been on Twitter <laughs> record, too long. For the record, we gotta get I never a new feel this way about the numbers, and I always just I support the community. We gotta get a new funny num- pair of numbers. We got sixty nine and four twenty. It's it's been funny for you know the past. Decade, two decades, eight, but eight, we, thousand, we could use eight, another one. 2008, 80,085. Well, that's like Nazi stuff, isn't it? 88. No, it's boobs. No, it's boobs. Oh, 8,008. There we go. Let's do that. Wait. Don't you call me a Nazi on the radio, you superstitious <laughs> son of a bitch. Hold on. You're on to something, though, because 88 is hell Hitler. So is boobs on a calculator. Did Hitler invent boobs? It's like the... the explore. <laughs> <laughs> it's the word boobs, but with Hitler inserted into it. It's not good. Have what you ever his said the word like? boobs like Hitler? Boobs. What is boobs in German? Boobs, boobs. boobs. <laughs> boobs in German. I'm looking that up. It's just um, time to take back your boobs. <laughs> Brüste. Brüste? Brüste. B-R-U-umlaut-S-T-E. Brüste. That's pretty cool. 
Oh, you know what else? It, you know, they have a few words for him. I, I guess his every language does, probably. Uh, the next sure. one is Daitite. Daitite is really D-I-E. Cool. Yeah. Dramelon pun. Daitite. Daitite. You know what number I think is kind of funny that I tried to get going a while ago? No one really was into it. 96, um, which I like, of course, because of the election. But also, it's like... doing 69? Yeah, it's like the opposite of 69. It's like reverse cuddling. It's like you're sleeping with somebody and you want some contact, but you don't actually think you can sleep. Because it is actually sometimes oh, difficult to, to sleep. back to back. Back to back, back to back. So there's still some contact. Right and upside down and upside down. Well, when One the, of the numbers are things, people, it's actually a funnier situation. But I'm not sure it holds up just by itself. Well, yeah, because it's a very common. Because we always talk about sixty nine, sixty nine. Oh, did you sixty nine? Doesn't happen very oh, often. Oh, did you sixty nine? Right, ninety six is probably the most common uh, in bed sort of configuration. Right, because you want some sort of physical <laughs> contact. If you like you're being so, intimate, dude. you don't it's actually want one. to fall asleep. You are uh, entangled yourself. with each other because that's actually very difficult for a lot of people to sleep that way. It uh, is overrated for sure. In like on yeah. TV, they would have you believe that you fall asleep. In a tangled mess of your lover's limbs. And right. if you've ever actually slept like that, you wake up and it's like hot and yeah. stuck. I, for one, have never fallen asleep mid-69. It's never <laughs> happened. Well, it's more like a... Never, never gonna happen. It's more like an infinity sort of uh, just a swastika. Um, it's a swastika, basically, is what people are going for. Um, I don't think numbers have to be swastikas. No, I'm talking. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about the two bodies intermingled. That's what how about- people ex- the expectation. One of the funniest things I've ever heard. Real quick. Okay. Seventeen years old at a party in St. Paul, and uh, right there is a um, young lady talking to a gentleman, and she says, "We ain't gonna do no sixty-nine, but you could be a six. And that cracked me up. Yeah, wow. math insult jokes really go over pretty well yeah i didn't realize you went to so many parties with poets i didn't i didn't either yeah you say paul the Greatest uh, of the word a math magician is that what she was math poets i'm not sure if you saw this the the um i'm i'm basing on her name the woman from the inauguration who did the poetry now has like a show coming out a tv called, show like dare me not to poem so you think you can poem? It's so you, so you think th- you can oh, it's rhyme. Amanda Gorman. Are you poem than a fifth grader? Can you? Yeah, bet? her show is called "Are You Poem Than a Fifth Grader." <laughs> that sounds terrible. It's just her versus a fifth grader doing poems. She always wins. She's way better than them, and yeah. I'm looking forward to it. The kids like roses know. are red, violets <laughs> are blue. She's like in your face, bitch. She just yeah, slam she's poetry at it. Mid poem. That's a big part of it. She's like, you suck, boo. I mean, here's the thing. Need more books. I'm way older than you. She's like rapping and shit using iambic <laughs> pentameter. You fucking fifth graders, kid. Fifth graders don't overthink things, and I think in some ways they're probably better poets. I remember hearing there's this old uh, sort of riddle, right? What is greater than God, more wicked than the devil, and if you eat it, you'll die. Money. That's one theory, but they asked that to a lot of Harvard students, and the Harvard students didn't get it. And then they asked the same thing to kindergartners, and the kindergartners were all like, uh, nothing. So they're smarter 
which is the right answer. So they're smarter than the uh, college students. Also, I some of the best poetry, prose, whatever I've ever read was there's a girl in my high school who had uh, some kind of brain damage, and she was like writing this thing about 9-11, and it was absolutely beautiful because it was just like free association and just made very little sense. I but it was way better than, than, you know, extremely loud and incredibly close or whatever the hell we uh, pass right. off as literature by mentally competent adults. That girl yeah. would kick Jonathan Franzen's ass this, any day of the but, week. Yeah. The, what she wrote eventually was adapted into Zero Dark Thirty, a beautiful film. Jesus Christ. Did my cat keep, cross keep you homing. when you stayed at my house recently? Were you afraid of my black cat? Um, I wasn't walking. So it would it can like encircle you or you know, if you're stationary. And, or if you're sitting down and you're lying down, then it will, all, no holds barred. But if you're walking in a path. <laughs> right. But before cat, you left, you waited until the cat was not blocking the door. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't let cats cross in front of me. I, if I'm going vertical and they're coming horizontal, I try to end around. This is kind of the situation where you say something that's like a blanketed statement about a certain group uh, of individuals. And then Jake is like, oh, really? Even my black cat? And you got to walk it back because you've been cat racist this whole time. Yeah, Anders. Is your cat black? Yeah. Okay. It for sure is. <laughs> it's like, like a- <laughs> There's no question about it. It's got a that. beautiful coat. He's got a little tiny white tuft on his... Like, okay, yeah, tuxedo. white top is fine. It just, it just fine. can't be. What? Yeah. <laughs> it can't, that is not part of it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't set my radar off unless it's 100% jet black. Wow. You have a tuft of white, it, that doesn't count. Oh, okay, so my cat passes the pencil test for you? Yes. You can put a cat. Getting into like a level of like spiritual speculation where I wouldn't be surprised if you like don't trust twins or something you holding up like a brown paper bag to my cat's face and going like <laughs> well in uh you know apartheid south africa you would have been allowed to operate machinery so <laughs> you're no longer I'm like, bad luck i'm spray painting your cat like meets the parents or something mm-hmm. it's really fucked up that you do all of these things but nonetheless <laughs> <laughs> the news nonetheless hey, you know who else is um, no <laughs> where, where are we going now <laughs> no, uh, you know who else is superstitious is uh, Nabisco workers on strike because they were offered a contract and it had 13 pages oh, is, what, is what I'm hearing <laughs> and so they decided to renegotiate for either 12 or 14 page uh, contract this yeah. show is more reason. or less than this. Like we walk, we have like a free association system that governs what we talk about on the show. <laughs> That's right. And I really did not want to open with the Nabisco thing. I wanted right. to talk about something else, but no, we have to. Uh, no, no, that's no, how it goes. I, 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 dude, we already I can, about the thirteen-page contract. No, but you're mentally, talking about a master segueer here. I can, I can leapfrog to something else. What, what did you want to start with? Bit, we simply must continue discussing. This. No, what we do you have want to, start to. With? We're not going anywhere else. I'm just describing <laughs> the feel. I got like a visceral feeling when you do that, where I'm like, "Here we go. <laughs> We're going to Nabisco Town because <laughs> it's like 
We're ramping Nabisco, up. Hey, Nabisco Town might be actually a reality in the near future because company towns are <laughs> on the way back. Amazon.com has created or is creating a company town. For more on that, we have Jake Flores. <laughs> well, that is what I was going to open with. But we already talked. You know what? Go with this. We're just going to have to go with this. We're just going to have to roll. We're going to come back to this Nabisco story that doesn't have a lot of meat on it. And it's going to be. It's like an Oreo. It's going to feel weird. But uh, let's talk about this company town thing. Okay. So here's my story, right? I used to work for the New York Observer. I uh, just freelanced there. But because my name is in some kind of database, I get these PR emails all the time. For some reason, I think this is why I'm getting them. Either it's either that or somebody very creatively like swatted me or something. But I get swatted. You, it's when mean? you call the SWAT team on someone. You know, it's or, like uh, if we were playing video games together, and then you made me mad, I would tell the police that you've kidnapped a child, and then they kill you. Or like, mm. and as that's swatting. <laughs> <laughs> or like as a prank, you'll sign somebody up for a bunch of mailing lists of shit that you know that they hate. Like, um, I don't know, you know, whatever. Fucking somebody did that to the Ballin' Out Super account recently. We are on all of Donald Trump's blogs. Yeah, like I've had shit like yeah. that happen before. Uh, yeah. So for whatever reason, I keep getting, the, but I think it's because of my old Observer job. I get like um, when people are trying to unroll new products and stuff. They're like, "Do you want to report on this?" So like I got like a bunch of videos of this new type of drone that's coming out a while back, which I think may like maybe I should be leaking this stuff, but I don't know if it's that much of a secret. Um, but I got an email the other day asked me if I wanted to go to New Jersey to report on this job drive. So Amazon is hiring like eight to nine thousand new workers in New Jersey, and. I didn't go to it because I don't really answer these things and I didn't think it was of much consequence. But then I noticed the next day that uh, this piece had come out in Bloomberg called Amazon's new factory towns will lift the working class. And it's like a, a new iteration of a piece that gets put out every six months or so if you look back on it. And it's not that like literal. So at first I thought, oh, we should do an episode about this. I should have gone and done gonzo reporting at this like press conference thing. And now I kind of think yeah, it probably wouldn't have been that interesting. And it's probably going to happen again and again and again. But it is kind of an interesting concept. So what's happening with these opinion pieces is they're not actually about like an actual like declassified, you know, plan that's been uncovered to start a legitimate factory town by amazon they are just speculation that that's where things are naturally moving in places like new jersey and like what's called the exurbs hmm. and uh but i think the fact that they keep getting published is maybe maybe there's something going on there where they're like trying to like acclimate people to this reality that things are clearly soon headed for so yeah good well, I mean, I do think company towns are on the comeback, comeback, come up. Um, you look at like Google and they've been doing this stuff for a while where their facilities are, you know, of course, we've all heard about how in San Francisco they have their own what like, privatized bus line for employees yeah. to get bused to the facility. 
Uh, and they have in Mountain View in California, um, they, I believe this was a, a year ago, they announced that they're going to remodel 40 acres in Mountain View and turn it into a million okay. square feet of office space, uh, 30,000 square feet of retail, and then uh, 1,850 housing units. So they're going to have people live there, and they're also going to have a civic and event space. Um, because Google in California has $14.5 billion in real estate. Uh, and that's, that's nice. It's not even just California. There's a bunch of other states too. Um, yeah. This is... Uh, there's an article about this in in the latest Jacobin that goes into you know the history, of course, of home company towns and sort of like right because it's I've, not a new thing. Is right. I, I think like I know we talk about that on the podcast, but it is the logical conclusion of politically the decisions this country has made in the last forty years. Uh, when when corporations were doing company towns in like 1850 or whatever, it was because there is Complete control of public life has been handed to private entities, and we had all the labor struggles of the century following that, moving the needle the other way, and then since Reagan, we've essentially undone all of that work. So we're just giving people back to their employer to live with and do whatever they want. Yeah, so it's creepy. There's like this thing happening where it's all naturally forming back together into the company town, and then you just sort of see it. And if you've read history, you're like, look, it's happening. And, you know, you, no one's listening to you and stuff. So it's it is a, like a little exciting in a really like morose way where you're just like, maybe I get to be a cowboy a little bit now. Yeah. Or maybe dynamite's well, coming back. That'd be cool. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. Part of me sort of wonders if it is a reaction to something or, you know, consciously or not on the part of these companies because – some of the original company towns, in, especially in the early 20th century in places like West Virginia, were in a way sort of a reaction to uh, militancy, worker militancy. Um, you know, you had mining towns, and I think company towns predated this, but the miners were getting more subversive and starting to try and form unions when it was even harder to do that than it is now in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and so the response was number one, to sort of crack down on that and be, you know, extra abusive. But number two, they also started to try and improve the lot in life for the workers and their families and did, you know, something that's been called welfare capitalism where they would build, you know, playgrounds yeah. and make things slightly better for their workers. But, uh, crucially, well, prevent, would prevent them from having you know a democratic stake in their community, uh, which is what like the end goal of a lot of these facilities and complexes are is to you know basically subvert um, any sort of you know just turn it into a fiefdom. Right? Yeah. it's a top down to- total. Yeah, well, I think that's what the media angle is here. Like I keep reading these, like I you know, kind of just googled this, like. Uh, Amazon company town, yada, yada, yada. And like, it's interesting because this article keeps reappearing every six months over the last mm-hmm. few years or whatever. And I, th- like, I have to ask myself the question, why? Like, why is someone writing about this? Cause if you just know enough about like dark money and shit, like there's a tentacle underneath this that we're not seeing that is being paid to like for someone to then write this article. 
or not, but like there's always the possibility of that. In the article. There's like who holds the pen? <laughs> there's there could very well be like a, an interest and a reason. And to me, the logical conclusion here, the thing that makes sense is uh, like they're doing PR, like they're trying to like present this inevitable future very positively because mm. well that's what's going on in this like this article that went viral the other day it's not it's not like run look out history's repeating itself sorry to bother you is happening it's like presented very positively and it's like here's why this could be the future and why it's like a good idea so like one thing that they talk about is how um amazon hires like temps now at like 15 bucks an hour and you can work your way up to like 18 or something like that which is like <laughs> not that much money but it's you know more than 725 like the federal minimum wage so they're saying like yeah if you I live in a, i get a love sack at my desk oh holy shit <laughs> yeah so they're saying like you know if you live in uh if your whole life is in like one of these towns in new jersey instead of living in new york and you and like one other person work there then combined you make like sixty thousand dollars a year and that's like a like it's presented as like a healthy middle class income which is I'm like soy facing it's like, i live at the company town and i'm soy facing <laughs> yeah and that's like not a lot, lot of money like at all but it's but they're presenting it as but it's more the, your dollar goes a lot farther because you're in like this exurb town where yep. stuff's cheap because you're not in the city and stuff and like maybe it's really relaxing and chill to live there because there's like shuttle buses that take you to work and all this stuff and you know like it or not maybe this is like the future of the you know they start using all these buzzwords right, like right, it's right. the middle class this is where you're gonna live and be king of queens or whatever you know <laughs> i mean I, I hate to reduce everything to movies but the thing that anders is was talking about before and, and the reality of the situation is these are all just spiraling off of conditions. There's public retreat, and so there's private advance. People don't have any money. They don't have a place to live. What if we gave you some money and a place to live in exchange for, I don't know, your freedom or whatever, <laughs> and a term to be dictated later, and then maybe I turn you into a horse or not because I can do whatever I want with you now. It's crazy because if everybody works there, like, there, there's no downplaying the creepy totalitarian nature of the job so if you can paint it as this like weird pleasantville thing like it reminds me of that hank scorpio episode of the simpsons mm -hmm. kind of where like they're gonna make everything look nice and there's not gonna be a homeless person next to you there's gonna be a mailbox or whatever but like i don't know i mean this just juxtaposed with shit that we all know about the job of amazon is so dark and weird like i read that new jacobin or whatever the one that came out over the summer uh, earlier this morning there's like a, a first-hand story someone's telling of you know what it's like to just work in a uh not the fulfillment center but the one that comes after it where they sort all the boxes onto mm. pallets to be shipped out i guess like a shipment center the or whatever fulfillment and there's like there's the fulfillment center it's called there's like these 1984 signs all over the wall <laughs> one of them says no task is beneath you <laughs> just oh like my all God. caps <laughs> and then there's like another one that's just a, di a diagram of like a guy like a picture of fallout cartoon like a human being and then there's just like little like lines all over it pointing to various like injuries that have happened like there have been 25 finger accidents at the shipment center this year or whatever this month or today or whatever it's so Make scary a prime day citizen yeah <laughs> and like i mean it's weird because it's like i'm almost i was almost reading this and i was like is this 
perfect for an episode of a podcast, like a leftist podcast to talk about, or is it not? Because it's like, we already know all this shit, but I guess it does bear repeating. Like it's a fucking dystopian nightmare and it'll make you a socialist to read about because like the, the, they talked about like aspects of the job that are just so textbook, like capitalist dystopian, like the fact that you never see the same coworkers every day. Like you're constantly by nature of being an Amazon, you know, fucking center worker or whatever mixed around. And it's like so deliberately on purpose to prevent, you know, the things that Is it create just the buildings too big. No, I think it's to... they just like send you to the they... other ends of the store. Well, it creates it's... efficiency. And probably part of that efficiency comes from the fact that you don't fucking communicate with your coworkers. So you don't talk about your wages and all these like form inklings. solidarity. Yeah, exactly. Just the things that would form unions because they, you know, when you get into work and you see someone, you're like, ah, I have something to tell you, but I got to finish the story later or whatever. No, you never finish the story later. Right. You're on <laughs> or a mile away on the other end of the fulfillment center. It's that permanently. And they were talking, another thing they talked about was how you aren't allowed to wear headphones but like this person no. was saying so that the like he literally works next to two deaf people that signed to each other and he was like wait a minute why are we not allowed to wear headphones if you're allowed to be deaf here you know like that clearly doesn't interfere with the job so it's right they just don't want you they don't want you listening to podcasts yeah. you know and they don't want yeah they want you to be totally <laughs> focused on the job i worked at restaurants where that was a rule too and it, it, when you're like coming in and setting up and it made no sense it's like this just helps me get through you know wake up and sort of get excited or whatever but no you, we have to like listen to the sounds of silence in the morning it's uh, a control thing yeah 100 it's like you want everybody on the same page i mean i'm sure it does raise productivity five percent or whatever only at like a terrible human cost yeah, and the fact that you're missing our fantastic analysis about what if boobs were said by Hitler, I know because that's that's what leads to revolution. It's that's liberating, right. is what it is. Das well, Titans, die well, Titans. Oh, I can't remember what it is. It was uh, what is it? Die Tite. <laughs> There's also Der Dussel. Der Dussel. Der Schnitzer. Der Tollpatsch. Der Patzer. Die Pane. Mist Bowen. They have a lot of shits are I don't like boobs anymore. I'm over it. Some of these are, th I think, more boob in terms of, uh, oh, what a boob. What an idiot. What a boob. Okay. Um, but uh, so we did an episode about feudalism, and I believe, I can't remember everything we said, but I remember it was convincing. And we said that <laughs> we are not uh, entering feudalism, or this is not feudal feudalism. This is just hypercapitalism but were we perhaps wrong about that yeah no, no i was thinking about that when i was reading this like honestly i'm coming back around to that jody dean stuff about like because i mean feudalism and capitalism didn't they're not entirely separate beasts some things are just rearranged you know Mm -hmm. And I, there's defining structures of the defining features that make something capitalism. Like we talked about are like the illusion of choice that you have with like work. Like, oh, I can quit Amazon and go work for someone else. It's the same shitty job. But, you know, I'm a weird, precarious freelance thing that can move laterally, but not longitudinally. Right. But like w when you live in a company town, you can't. Right. right. Like that's the whole point. Yeah. But if you're still well, getting paid per hour. 
you aren't fully a sur- you're not fully surfified yet. When when you just bore are born and die on the Amazon Company Town, then congratulations, we've gone back in time. But uh Right, it's a, only a little back in time. It is yeah. right. It is a constant sort of uh, illusion of choice with uh you know, you go you choose to work for this place, you also choose to get housing from the same place and you also choose to buy your food and all that other stuff from the same place, but it's constantly uh, presented to you as as market choices um and also i'm also curious about i don't know um what the case was under feudalism what in terms of a reserve army of labor which seems to be kind of a standard of capitalism right because it seems like not everybody is going to work and live in these company towns like they're gonna sort of the system sort of depends on a bunch of people being unemployed yeah, well, that's what makes this a new thing, right? And like a yeah. whole new third thing that has its own defining features. Because they were talking about that. It's like weird because one thing that's modern and odd about this is that some places everyone works for Amazon or Walmart. And then other places, no one works for them. And it's like also because these fulfillment centers exist outside of cities, it's like... um you can drive past one of these places without even knowing you just drove past an entire like community that is all under this one company. But like maybe uh, another thing that's going to go happen here is that there's like multiple different companies that all have monopolies on weird shit like this. So there's just like Walmart town versus Amazon town. And then if you're really lucky, you work in like Mountain Dew town or whatever. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> I guess that's probably a Nabisco product, though. Let me make the do. That would be so cool. Let me do the do. You can only make it by gaming. They don't tell you that. You drink it, but you're also making it by doing the game. I was picturing like you're like a steampunk brewmaster, but you make, instead of beer, you just, I I wake up at six in the morning, which is early for somebody who drinks Mountain Dew, and you're like. I always thought it was was nuclear waste that came from some sort of, you know. Yeah. Hypercharged chamber that gives you superpowers, super energy. No one knows. No one knows what's in it. Without completely rehashing the the uh, neo feudalism episode, I do think the big one takeaway we had was the reason you aren't seeing an exact return to monarchy is uh, the skeleton of a company. The functions of a company did not replicate the functions of a state. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. You know, you may live on the Amazon town and they provide rent for you and maybe meals or whatever, but there's no, like, services, really. Uh, they just have enough to get you in and out of work. Um, and so you're, you're going to have a situation like Jake was saying where there's, like, Amazon town and there's Walmart town and there's Mountain Dew town and none of them are working together. And it doesn't, like, that system isn't sustainable. Like, all of those things are working against each other, which I guess is the premise of capitalism, but they're not going to be able to do that for very long because people won't be able to live that way. Well, but there's various ways in which they don't work against each other, in which they, because they, you know, have like an oligopoly going on, they have mutual interests that keep them sort of all running as a small oligarchy as opposed to like like it would be against their interest to have more competition right so these bizarre things happen at that level of capitalism but also like you know also another counterpoint the whole problem here is that 
capital expresses itself through the state. So like, right. I think it like what you get is a bizarre, like sort of resurrection of something like feudalism, which is why she's calling it neo feudalism. Like, yeah, no, the Amazon company that you work for isn't the state, but it, it has a lot of tentacles in it. Sorry, I keep using this tentacle metaphor. It's because, you know, HP Lovecraft yeah. and the Coke to Puss. It's not because of uh, tabs I have open on my internet browser. It's because I read <laughs> about the Coke brothers a lot. And they always We're all thinking of tentacles. <laughs> the topic makes you think of tentacles. I guess I would be more convinced if we could see closer uh, 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 mirror images of an aristocracy. Because you have like an executive board, right? But they don't joust. They don't hunt and learn games. Uh, well, but they are racing into space now. So maybe it'll be sort of a Gundam wing situation in the coming years. Right, where they like an, a culture is formed of young space dukes and space princes. Right. I, get, I think we're talking Dune more than Gundam Wing. Okay. Fair enough. All right. We all know spaces for the space noids, but um, Gundam Wing is all about sending teenagers to Earth and not out to space. It's the okay. other way around. Is it really? Right. What do the to... teens do on Earth again? They destroy it because... I don't specifically remember why, but they're bad. Okay. It does, that show doesn't make a ton of sense. I'm going to be honest right. with you. At one point, the main guy blows himself up with a nuclear bomb and then just wakes up in the hospital and they're like, oh, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, you were only slightly exploded by a nuclear bomb. Yeah. One of the robots has a scythe. Very cool. I remember that guy. Very yeah. cool. The coolest thing you can have is a robot. Yeah. And then the other one has like a yeah. chain whip. And you're like, well, why don't they just shoot guns at each other? They should. Well, the main one does have a big gun. Yeah. Well, oh, there's also, I'm not sure if you guys saw this that video going around of, like, real-life Gundams. I did see that. I didn't see that. What? The future's now. It's, like, full-body mech suits that are, like, 20 feet tall. I'll share it with Man. you, Anders. I want your live okay. react on this. <laughs> That's fucking cool. Well, that's what I'm saying um, about this company town article. It's like the, the future is here. They use media to brace us for this stuff. You know, this right. this Gundam video is coming out so that in a few years, you're not that surprised when the police have a Gundam and you're like, oh, these are real. I already knew right. these were real. The Gundams are only used against criminals. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> for the best. I mean, that's where things are going, right? This right. sort of shit is only used to maintain that surplus population, you know? It's already scary enough going to a protest now that they have sound cannons. When they, like, get in the Epion, I'm not sure I'm going to show up the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with your laser pointer and shit to take it down. <laughs> Everyone, laser pointer at the Epion! Yeah. It can't whip you with the laser whip! <laughs> yeah. The cops have the death scythe and shit. <laughs> That's no fun. I w we were, uh, me and Anders read Capital in a reading group. We just finished. And, like, uh, there's really interesting stuff in the back end of it about the police and how, like, the modern police state was propped up because when the first capitalists were sort of operating off of the first precarious uh, city-dwelling work, what you would call proletariat, um, people would just became very attracted to leaving this horrible situation 
where you're precarious like that and becoming vagabonds. So the first thing that cops ever really did in their modern form was like track down people who left their jobs and just right. tattoo V's onto their forehead so everyone would know you're what? a vagabond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that what inspired Alan Moore? Maybe. Although he said that it's V for Vendetta, so that would be... Yeah, it would be a different V. Well, yeah. yeah, but the V. I can't remember what the other the one stood v for. is so big right now. The cops used to basically, before there was this complex system of prisons and stuff, it was, you get caught one time, they tattoo the letter of what you did on your forehead. So you could be S for stealing, I think. And I can't remember what the R was for. I don't think it's for that. But... <laughs> uh, you have a letter tattooed to your forehead, and then if you get caught again, you basically become a slave. And then if you get caught again, you they just execute you. They probably get they're out of space for letters the yeah. third time. <laughs> yeah, you have all like you're running out of. They have too many letters on your face and shit, and you just look. We're gonna hold you down and put an R on your neck because you're the real ass dude of the week. <laughs> uh, rattlesnake. That's what it stands for. Yeah. Is it with like a? Do you know if it's a brand or it's like a uh, Inglorious Bastards knife situation? I don't know. I'll have to look into that. We should get. We'll look um, into that. We should get podcast tattoos. We'll, Absolutely. We'll get P. And I want to do it like how vagabonds used to have it done to them. <laughs> yeah, we'll all get branded. I refuse to get a safe tattoo. <laughs> uh, well, here we go. It'll Hold on, everyone. To see. How many of these little little measures are adopted by corporations? We got the $15 minimum wage picked up by Amazon. and um, We did it, folks. Right. They're trying to make things slightly more tolerable to kind of stay ahead of the curve on before before the people rise up. And one thing that um, Starbucks has been doing is by giving people – Free college education if they work there. I know someone. I know one person who's doing that. Yeah, she seems to like. That'll it, be but. extra gratifying when you finish and get to go work at Starbucks again. Right. You graduated from Starbucks University. I majored <laughs> in frappuccinos. <laughs> but they did do this thing recently where there are a couple franchises that are trying to unionize, and they sent in the big top brass to be like, "Why? Why are you doing this to us?" Huh? Oh, I saw this. Yeah, they um, have them work behind the desk and like mop up the latte sh- shit on the ground and stuff to be like, see, I work here too. Oh We're all yeah, on the same side. The president of Starbucks is <laughs> some old lady is fucking mopping up uh, the floors, and a worker took like a f- selfie with her in the background. It was like, why isn't this person just paying me more? Like, what the fuck is this supposed to mean? <laughs> it's out of undercover boss. They're like, the problem is too many bosses are undercover, but I'm not undercover. I'm on your side. I'm just annoying you by doing your job ineffectually and getting in your way a lot. <laughs> Clearly identified boss at your work. Doing your job, but worse. Have you ever had a, jo- a boss that would try to jump on the line and like do your shit sometimes? I, I worked at a bar where the fucking owner would, yeah. he thought he was helping because it would get busy and he would jump like behind the bar. Just fuck everything up. It just yeah. completely annihilate my entire fucking setup. And he's huge. I couldn't get around him and shit. It just fucking sucked. But he's the boss. You can't say anything to him. He has to pretend like he's helping. Make some weird right, ass yeah. fucking And then point. usually when they fuck up, they uh, turn it into like, you had the setup wrong. Yeah, or like, 
you you had my help and we fucked up what's wrong with you you know it feels like we're going slower now that i'm here what is going on <laughs> yeah yeah so that's happening there um but it seems it doesn't seem like it's working so far <laughs> hopefully not hopefully not but people i think uh the companies are scared of course of unions and one of those companies is nabisco here we go a thousand chips, delicious. Oh yeah, <laughs> I right. am not looking forward to um, standing in solidarity with the workers of Nabisco because they make m- delicious cheese snacks that I enjoy. Mm. I think they make cheese nip. Actually, okay, here's and what it all comes out. We got to figure out whether they make cheese its or cheese nips because I'm I pretty will. Pretty sure it's its. I'll switch brands for the. For the month. Those are pretty much exactly the same thing. <laughs> I know. I like them both. I know they make they make Chips Ahoy. They make Oreo. They even make the Chewy Chips Ahoy. That's not a different corporation <laughs> that does that. I've done research. Uh, okay, I guess it is Nips. I'm sorry. Cheez-Its is by Kellogg. Cheez-Its are still... I can buy them. Okay, cool. All right, that's yeah. good to know, and that's good for us to... Uh, it's good information for us to give out because people need to know... People have to eat either a Nip or a Zit. Why are you eating Cheez-Its? Because uh, I love you, them. Like coming home from a soccer game? <laughs> I love them, man. Like what food is... <laughs> <laughs> Any food would be better than Cheez-Its. I like I eat pretty healthy, but that's like my my vice. I'm not like a sweet vice is cheese. <laughs> yeah, I don't like sweets. I'm not a sweets guy at all, but I fucking if I'm like I'll give it all away. <laughs> I get a box of zits or nips just to just to treat myself, you know? Okay, what about those like cheesy sandwiches? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, those little... are those are for children. The Ritz yeah, cracker ones. Yeah, Ritz crackers, but that's Ritz though. That's not Nabisco, is it? Yeah, it's a different thing. You know what? Cheese uh, it, it's apparently your brand of choice is made by Keebler, and they are treating their elves correctly at the moment. I guess so, but that's I'm excited if there's ever a strike or a union <laughs> thing because just the elf jokes are going to be nonstop, and uh, it may inspire. And if anybody from the Keebler Corporation is is listening. Um, to, you know, check in on subversive activity. Uh, I will make a deal with you. I won't radicalize your workers if you give me money to produce a TV show about the Keebler Elves, which I've wanted to see for years. I think this, this is would be a great price. idea. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a price. For a lot of us, it's a syndicated television program following the lives of the Keebler Elves. I can't vices. believe, I cannot believe this has not been a thing yet. You know, they have a whole established universe. They've been around for decades. Uh, you know, they they got the uh, the main guy, E.L., and uh, they live in a tree. That's so freaking cool. Ernest Keebler. What is his name? They, this sounds very similar to Smurfs. It sounds well, extremely... And the Gummy Bears, which had their own show. Yeah. Also, I think you're hearkening back. You're feeling nostalgia for an era... And I don't know why this doesn't happen as much anymore. I think maybe it's because we have like this illusion of uh, culture being smart as opposed to it was when we were kids. But you back in the day, like children's entertainment was stupid enough to where they would literally come up with a cartoon to put on a box of junk food. They'd come up with a cartoon first. And then they would hire animators and go make a fucking show so that the kids like the cartoon so that they'll continue to 
buy stuff. Like this happened with toys too. Like uh um like knockoff transformers and stuff like that. If John Crick Falusi canceled animator who made the Ren and Stimpy used to talk about this on his blog, which I used to read before I knew he was canceled, right. but he would talk about how in the eighties, it was really hard Suspicious. to actually be a, be a creator. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. I just liked his cartoons. Uh-huh. And yeah, I bet you have a lot of things in common. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now in retrospect, all his work was so demented. It was like, oh, of course, it's an <laughs> unhealthy person. But I mean, at the time, I just thought he was a fucking horror weirdo. So he, what he used to talk about was how if you were because he was a cre- like he was a big, stupid, iconoclastic animator in his industry. And he wanted to make like cartoons the way they used to get made, which is just for the sake of making a cartoon. And apparently, if you were an animator in the 80s, you couldn't do that because all the money was in some huge company going, we need you to make a fucking Keebler elf show to sell the goddamn cookies. Fuck you. You don't get to make anything else. So. This is the premise of Space Jam, which we discussed recently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, what I think, Anders, is your idea, it only could have happened in like the 80s or 90s. Yeah, now they kind of do it the other way around. They sell the uh, the products after the cartoon character has been uh Anders, famous, you're a but... grown man. You work in media. You're an artist. Create your own Keebler Elf universe. <clears throat> but it, there's already one that exists. They already have the family set up. You got uh, Ma Keebler, Ernie's mom, Elmer Keebler, a baker in training, Buckets, who splashes fudge on cookies, Fast oh, Eddie. Oh, we all know Buckets. Fast got a guy named Eddie. Fast Eddie, the cookie and cracker wrapper, Sam, the peanut butter maker, Roger the, Roger, the cookie jeweler, Doc, the doctor. They got the doctor in there. He makes cookies, too. Zach, the fudge the shop doctor foreman. doctor makes cookies? Why do they have all these characters? Who takes well, they, care it of it the takes sick a lot. That's where they make... The, doc, that's where they make all the uh, all the products. Even like the boring, um, just like crackers that you're supposed to eat with like cheese or whatever. And they even have an artist. An elf and those. Leonardo is the artist, and there's a tree accountant named Flo. But Anders, with these established characters, you can create your own vibrant stories and see their interaction come to life do you through th- your own gifted mind. Do you think they would stop yeah. you if you just made it? Well, I can't assist comes from I cannot, I have I have the curse that uh I feel like a lot of comedians probably have which is to be a kid with an overactive imagination who also sucks at drawing. Mm. It's so torturous. Yeah. Like I would think up all these ideas and then try and scribble them together but it would look terrible. Um Yeah, but, I kind of have that. Yeah. But now I th- I think this is a great idea, and they should do it. You know, like they, they could because they could bring this thing that you're describing back. You right? get a tight Keebler Elf <laughs> spec. You're walking. You're going down Hollywood. You're using your network. Uh, you're talking to the people we've had on the show. You're saying, "I've got this Buckets sitcom. It follows the life of Buckets. They don't need to ask who Buckets is. They already know it's the Keebler Elf. Who's Buckets? Doc's oh, friend. yeah, Buckets. Who's, the fudge Who's Buckets, he says. The fudge After it, thank you. reading Sorry. me the entire cast of the Keebler I Elf universe. Ta- I thought you were talking about the Zach Alphanakis situation for a sec. Uh, what? <laughs> that's baskets. His- that's Baskets. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> My point is you need to do the work. Yeah. yeah. It's time to step up or shut up. There needs to be Keebler a style. Mr. Bucket TV show. <laughs> that universe needs to be explained. Why is there an anthropomorphic bucket who's begging you to put your balls in his mouth? 
<laughs> we need an origin story. I'm so glad this company isn't on strike. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, speaking of disgusting little elves, Danny DeVito has become the mascot of the Nabisco strike because he's a really cool union guy. Um, he's maybe he's one of those people when you read about him, you're like, is there is he the one good celebrity? There's like five of them. Mm. But well, one of them just died. Ed Asner, another, you know, elf. Right. Sort of. Fucking lifelong socialist. We lost a good elf. Why are they always these little curmudgeonly guys? It's pretty cool. Um, I think because being short as a radicalizing, you know, you either get a Napoleon complex or you become a, you know, a. Like a David and Goliath type right, like underdog. Right. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> you either die a David or live long enough to become a Goliath. Yeah. Or in your just, mech suit. This yes. is assuming you never stop growing larger. In your mech suit. So after the revolution, we'll get Danny DeVito a mech suit, and he'll finally be tall, and that will... Does Danny DeVito, like... Like, I know he tweeted that one thing, but are they, like, bringing him around places, or... Well, I don't know. He always, like, he's a big union guy. He always fucking supports shit like this and, like, was a big Bernie guy, so he'd do events for Bernie. I don't know if he's gone to the, the Nabisco like thing in portland because it started in portland over the contracts that are being renewed and it's it spread to the entire country so he very well could have but for whatever reason because he supported them and there was a controversy about him like losing his twitter verification for supporting the strike they turned his face into like a bat signal and are like projecting it on the side of the building in portland i think i think the idea is that you use the danny devito symbol Therefore, summoning Danny DeVito. Well, yeah. I wonder if he's shown up. That's that's a good question. Is he just not doing it? Because he's like, do, yeah. he's he's Batman, and he's like, I'm on Batman strike. I'm also not working. Does that ever happen? <laughs> He'll show up, but as the Penguin. <laughs> yeah, it's a complicated right. ask. <laughs> that is also something that complicates this. Is he is not Batman. He's a Batman villain. Yeah, he shows up, but he's evil. It's not necessarily what anybody wants. Yeah. <laughs> he's like eating fish raw in front of everybody <laughs> and floating on his umbrella. Is the Penguin one of those characters where if you think about it hard enough, they're actually the good guy and Batman's a cop? Or is he actually... I don't think He is so. sort of a um, a playboy sort of uh, a fellow rich person. Yeah, he's like an but aristocrat, right? He owns a, well, yeah, he's a club owner, so it's kind of a Jack Ruby type. Okay. Hard to, yeah. Well, it, he's not human, though, right? Isn't that the whole thing? <laughs> not fully. It's a weird situation in which he like fall into a penguin tank as a child and just become mouthy. I believe so. I think it was like a. I mean, the way they do it in Batman Returns, which I think I rewatched a lot of these recently. By far, the best Batman movie. Absolutely. Um, he uh, is given up. He, his parents are disgusted by him, so they basically float him down a river, and he like, winds up in a sewer. <laughs> Go fight and, Batman! Yeah, so he's a sewer person. Yeah. Um, and whether or not there's some contamination in the sewer that changes his human qualities is, I think, possible. Young women of Texas, you do not need to seek an abortion. You can just put your freak baby in a uh, floating... Sewer. What do you call those things? Basket. <laughs> floating basket. Like a basket. Yeah. Or like and a... You either have a penguin baby or a Moses baby, which can be very nice. Yeah. Right. Right. Who's to say? 
definitely that's something that they've like they the fucking evangelicals down there say is is uh you don't need to get an abortion adoption is this great fucking thing or whatever that movie juno when it came out that's like very low-key pro-life propaganda my mom hated that movie so much because she literally was it the uh, pro-life stuff or was it just the cursing though she just hated the moldy peaches i think yeah all of it she was like this is (laughs) number one despicable language and also she (laughs) she worked at a planned parenthood in utah in the 70s and was like chased down the street by mormons uh for advocating reproductive health and uh yeah she's like this is a pro-life movie this is make this is glorify or this is making it seem like it's all hunky dory if you choose to carry through a pe- pregnancy which in theory like yeah. Andrew's that mom should hated be this movie because she doesn't think michael sarah is hot <laughs> she's drawn a line in the sand yeah you look yes. kind of like michael sarah i mean i've t- i have a stand-up bit about this but i feel like men of our generation were engineered to to sort of uh not engineered but like encouraged to emulate michael sarah and uh, that probably infiltrated my mind subconsciously. Andrews. But it ruins thousands of our, or millions of us in terms of social skills because we thought, it well, we'll just be endearing and awkward. Turns out that that's not that charming. Nobody likes that. Not no, in real life at all. And then a lot of sucks. us. You're right. And then that's a lot of us became, you know, like the MRAs and the incels and stuff. They're like, I, I'm supposed to be sexually desirable. I'm the anti-Michael Sarah. You don't right, bitch. and then they do that. Then they then they turn the page and become yeah. macho. I have a gun. Would Michael Sarah have a gun? Would he? I has he had a gun in an action movie at all? Michael, I've checked. Michael Sarah's never had a gun. I don't think he's. So ever, we can't be the same. No, you he, bitch. He's not in any action movies, right? You can't right. do that with that actor. Aside from the uh, Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Oh, yeah. I liked Scott Pilgrim. Oh yeah, I'll say it. I, like I don't know if too. he actually did any gunplay in that, though. I think he was just... A he has movie. a sword at one point, I think. Okay. Lots of fist fighting? Yeah. Yeah. Any shit. Hey, you know when this was big, when he was big, sort of at his peak, slightly on the on the downward slope, but oh, okay. it was like 2007, I feel like, was the Michael Sarah panty dropper moment. Um, That's what we call it. Right. And then a couple years later, it was still sort of, you know, you got, what, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist or whatever. 2011. I didn't like that one. He was still kind of big. And you know what else happened in 2011? You guys hear about this? You hear about this? Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, it's the 10-year anniversary this month of Occupy Wall Street. That's right. A lot of interesting... trash can you can knock over. A lot of interesting (laughs) retrospectives on what the world is like 10 years later lots of interesting stuff to say i think my favorite thing that i did not know is something that anders tweeted out 10 years later the elizabeth warren thing where she claimed to have originated occupy (laughs) how the fuck did that never come up in the last few years of her running for president that's a hilarious what it struck me as when I read that article is that uh, sometimes you lie about something because you assume everyone's going to forget, like, the topic's just going to pass, like, a week later, and she probably just didn't think Occupy would be part of, like, permanent history. But right. looking back on this, this is an insane reach for her to have claimed 
that everything happening at Occupy was because of her ideas. Was yeah. she the uh, executive at Adbusters at the time? Yeah. She's like, Mike, check, everyone! Mike, check! <laughs> Standing in the middle of a crowd of beanie guys. Yeah, the uh, the waving your hands thing was her idea. <laughs> so, in all fairness to her, the article sort of, like, paraphrased her. She said, um, I created much of the intellectual foundation for what they do. Which is still, I bit, I think, a bit of a, a reach. A lot. Yeah, <laughs> I was the one who came up with rocking it. Well, I mean, it's a fucking lot, especially considering like she was a Republican until she was, you know, in her forties and stuff. And right, as 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 that article points out, which is, you're right. I mean, it's an article. It's fucking misleading there's a headline and all sorts of stupid editing and stuff but as it points out is she had like even back then during like the obama administration had this reputation for being way farther left than she actually really was just because it worked to her advantage or against her advantage at various points politically have we considered maybe what she meant is the republican policies she supported uh eventually led to the 2008 financial crash maybe Yeah. yeah there you go Big brain coming out. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is indicative of how far to the right we had gone, especially on economic issues at that point, because someone who is a Republican and a pretty conservative Republican at that, if you look at her history as a professor in, you know, the 70s and 80s or whatever she was, lawyer and professor, um, she believed in markets, right? And that's the thing that made her Republican. She was like, I thought right. they supported markets the best, and the Democrats were too uh, loosey-goosey about interfering with the markets and screwing up the equilibrium and all that. We um, can't start trading cash for clunkers! <laughs> but, like, the the entire experience of the 90s and deregulation and the Bush era... Uh, things incrementally getting worse and worse and worse for the middle class, which is her focus. Um, you see, you're starting to see the fusion of, uh, the state and financial institutions. And, um, instead of sort of seeing that and having it give lie to the whole concept of markets and capital, um, she, recognize that as this is a an aberration this is not what capitalism is supposed to be like so we need to you know do some some reforms of the the economy make it more competitive right uh bust up the trusts and do a lot of stuff that is good and uh, i remember when she first hit the scene um i was a fan right in like 2009 but that's she was like narrowly focused on tarp because she was a professor harry reed made her um the head of manage of like overseeing how the tarp funds were distributed and you know she's a hardline like believer in capitalism in the american way and she saw how corrupt it was and was like well this is wrong uh but instead of taking it a few steps further she just you know ended up with the maxim like capitalism without rules is theft which is (laughs) just so so beyond satire as a as a concept but yeah. but around this time yeah she's it's narrowly a wordy focused shirt if nothing right, else right 
But she's narrowly focused on the TARP bailout and how corrupt that was. And that's perfectly uh, reasonable and, and fine. But the idea that that created the intellectual foundation for, like, you know, people studying capitalism and financial crashes and alternatives and stuff like that is, is a bit silly, especially if she had really no connection to uh, really any left-wing movement. Um, you know, at that point, she was doing town halls with Bernie Sanders uh, in like 2009. He would bring her up to Vermont. There's a video that's sort of surreal in retrospect where they're like talking before a room of like 20 people and she like doesn't know how to use the microphone. He's like, he's like, people's mic. Yeah. Because at that time. back. Yeah. But at that time, like, and this goes to how, you know, things have changed a lot since 2011. Um, a lot of things have gotten worse if we're looking at the raw, you know, uh, economic numbers or especially environmental numbers and factors. Um, but in terms of the left, I think things have gotten better. I don't think there's much question about that. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons we can say that is because there is now somewhat of a distinction between an Elizabeth Warren and a Bernie Sanders or something, or, you know, farther to the left of that. Yeah, I think it like in retrospect that reading like that statement from her about that is really funny to me because there w- there was this attempt when she was running for president to position her as this like I, just a million things that she kind of isn't and not not to discredit all the things that you just said about the context that she was operating in back then or whatever but uh i mean i do think it's just really funny to read someone who is just part of like the political world and the ruling class and, you know, has money and power and all this stuff saying something that nowadays would sound absurd, like trying to get away with the idea of like, though this thing is happening in politics, it must be because of me, because that is tone deaf to what Occupy proved, which is that all of this shit comes from the bottom up. Right. So like for someone in office to be like, must have been because of what I said. Like, it's like hilarious, you know? And yeah. that's like the big, the big takeaway from, from what everyone seems to be reflecting on 10 years later is, is I think there's a really common take, which is, well, yeah, it was like this infant thing. It was nascent. It didn't work. It was a failed experiment, but out of the ashes of it grew all of these movements that we like wouldn't have today. We wouldn't have this DSA thing going on and Bernie and, you know, all of a sudden. It definitely activated a lot of people and a lot of people who do not consider themselves activists felt compelled to be a part of it. Yeah. Right. I guess I'm kind of fixated on that because I remember, like, I always think about this and like, I lived in Texas and what I always want to dunk on my friends because I went no. to it in <laughs> in Texas at the time, the little Austin version of it that happened and stuff. And I was working as a door guy at a bar and I was like reading Howard's Zinn and shit and trying to piece together some way of looking at the world. And I remember it was very popular for people to be really cynical about it and be like, you right. fucking dreadlocks and shit. And I always want to yeah. be like, you dumbasses back then that made fun of me for going to this thing are still bartenders. So do you not see the connection? And like, you guys all benefit from all this stuff that came out of it. Um, it's so, I guess what's like kind of fascinating to me about 
the Occupy and its legacy is the 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 what do you call it Overton window stuff and how mm-hmm. intangible and hard to track that is, but how cool it is. Like there is a thing you can do where you manipulate the some part of the superstructure of society that then drags a bunch of stuff with it, you know? Right. And there's plenty of criticisms that have been made since and that were made at the time too. And I think a lot of them are valid. Uh, but at the, you know, I think we have to be clear eyed about the fact that uh, it's not, it's hard for me to imagine it have gone going better, right? That was kind of right. the best we could do in 2011. And we're no longer in 2011. Right, so there we are can... no there are no structures to work with. So I mean, a completely horizontal people's mob is kind of like your strongest weapon. If you right, <laughs> I, read... I think we kind of had to go through that to learn. Like that's actually not a very good way to uh, run a social movement. And you know, the people saying now that oh well, we never got it quite right, and we we're so close, we we're on the verge of this breakthrough of consensus organizing. I think is that's a bit absurd that people are saying that. Uh, but I think the the find a park near organ- you. Bring your stories about the Keebler elves. Act them out. <laughs> I read. <laughs> I read this thing that Murray Bookchin said about the like consensus concept. Yeah. About how he said it may sound hyper democratic in principle, but it turns out to be anything but in action. According to him, consensus was never an anarchist practice, but was instead imported into the tendency by a group of quote cynical Quakers in the 1970s yep. who used it to manipulate members of the anti nuclear power clamshell alliance, which is super That's 70s right. and weird and sounds like Quakers a out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Kill yeah. the Quaker in your head. He won't fight back. <laughs> right. That it sounds like it's a it's a great uh, ultra yeah ultra democratic idea. But like as I have a friend uh, comrade who pointed this out that um, usually when a group dis- makes a decision to become consensus based, that's the last decision they make uh, right. because it throws gum into the works and and it is I think crucially makes it a lot harder to actually have a functioning uh, movement um, because, you know, that there's a limited amount of people who have the time to show up to a park every night and deliberate for like six hours, you know. Uh, who wants to live there? Right. And there's also no, like, I, and, you know, I think a, a, a good takeaway, and again, we had to go through it to learn it, but a great takeaway is we need democratic institutions. We need our own left-wing or organizations that are uh, member-funded and uh, based on membership, right? Because, and I remember I would, in uh, Minneapolis, where there was an Occupy uh, encampment, I don't know why they didn't also do one in St. Paul, but that was fine. I also, I would, I made the trek over to Minneapolis, and um, I could vote uh, just by virtue of being there, right? There was no, like, sort of process that was, like, because I was working for the police at the time. The, the person with the most democratic <laughs> well, power in an Occupy situation is the guy who's like, I sleep in the trash can and I have like a <laughs> wizard staff and I'm always here, you know? Right, well, well that, but that's the thing. It's like those people had an equal – there was no sort of like weighted – any like it was just whoever happened to be there at the time. Right. Uh, and there was no structure for like – figuring out priority or representation or anything like that. It's just like, let's just, it was just a, you know, I don't want to like completely 
tear apart uh, what I think ultimately was a, a good thing. And again, I think the best we could have done because um, if you look at the anti-globalization movement, in some ways, uh, so-called anti-globalization movement, in some ways that was more effective in that they got the WTO to like stop one meeting, which is, you know, I think the best we could have done in 1999 probably, but it's, and it's a good thing. Um, but if you look at the messaging from that, it was inescapable the term anti-globalization. And if you ask anybody who was associated with that, they'd be like, well, no, I'm not really anti-globalization. It's like, I'm not, you know, a national, I mean, there were nationalists obviously who tried to hitch themselves to that wagon, but uh, they were like, what, we're just, we're against this sort of model of, uh, you know. We're just anti-Semitic. <laughs> Allow me to be clear. Right. But like they start explaining it and it is a complicated system of, you know, the the Bretton Woods institutions. And the minute they say Bretton Woods, everybody's just tuned out and is not listening to what you're saying. Right. So the the bet, the way they it was sort of reduced is anti-globalization. And we tried to take it. And in retrospect, people call it the global justice movement. But that's also pretty vague. You know, who's against justice? Right. And Occupy Wall Street, I think the big victory was a communications one. It's the theme of 99%. There is 1% of the population that controls an inordinate amount of wealth and resources, and that's the problem. Unlike the Met Gala, everyone understood the theme. Right. He yeah, he understood the assignment. You know that meme on Twitter? Like, <laughs> but it's just a picture of a fucking tinfoil hat, crazy homeless guy. He understood the assignment. He understood uh, the assignment. <laughs> I will say this, probably the best uh, uh, public occasion at getting Americans to take a walk until Pokemon Go. Yeah. Is Occupy Wall Street? Yeah. Interesting. Dude, you had to do so much walking. You had to walk everywhere. You had to walk That's like great. 10 miles to just kind of like yell at people. You I were know. a uh, NYU student at the time. Did you go to Zuccotti? Uh, yeah, but I'm, I mostly would do the like protest where they're like we're taking the bridge or whatever yeah. but you walk literally like the entire height of manhattan <laughs> it's <Oof>. exhausting <laughs> yeah yeah i moved it to new york in 2012 when occupy was like just dying down and was a new school student like in that very brief lull between occupy and Black Lives Matter. So I kind of missed out on the action. I mean, I I did take part in um, BLM after I graduated, but it, it seemed like there was a lot of action to be a new school student before and after my tenure there, which is which is fine. I accept it because, you know, one thing I realized is that like we're the two campus, years away from Elizabeth Warren claiming she invented Black Lives Matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but the, I, and I think another takeaway is the campus, is, and it's not at all against college activism and campus politics, but that is limiting, and you, you can't uh, have that be the main sort of um, campaign of your your movement either. It has to be more wide-reaching than that, and I think we've learned now we've still got a very long way to go in terms of getting uh, people who are without a formal education and uh, working class in this country to join the left. But I think we've made a lot of headway and we're, you know, setting up structures um, that, that work for that, right? You know, childcare during meetings, um, thinking about people's schedules and trying to take that stuff into account. So 
Yeah, you know, I think it was. Uh, I think it was a catalyst. Yeah, I mean, nobody knows what the next iteration of the thing that will work extra well looks like. But like to go back to something you just said about college campuses is kind of interesting. I feel like I'm just doing a podcast book report on this fucking Jacobin magazine I just read, but like <laughs> one of it opens with this uh, piece by Vivek Chibber, and he's talking about um, like something that Eric Hobsbawm talked about in like 1978 at, at you know at the end of a certain epoch mm-hmm. where um, the old Marxists sort of believed that. The, the original Marxist idea is that worker consciousness is an inevitability when you just right. have capitalism. Like, it's just going right. to happen, and all things eventually lead towards it. And then, like, that didn't kind of happen for various reasons. So there's this new space that we're all living in where we... Uh, it, it's like an active thing you have to take part in. It's not just going to happen if you have a job and you work somewhere. Like you, you have to go in and actually try to foment these things uh, to prevent, like maybe a worse outcome as all of the contradictions of capitalism tear everything apart. You know, this could not. This could end in something other than us fucking banding together. It could just end in like a worse situation, right? So, one thing he was describing is how um, we're so atomized now, and like in these stories about people working at Amazon and not being able to talk to their coworkers and stuff like that, you have this new world where we have, you don't talk to your next door neighbor or your coworker, but you have the internet and you have mass communication. Whereas the, the, a lot of the, you know, the big things that happened in the latter half of the 20th century, like the riots and stuff in the civil rights movement in the sixties and in the fifties and sixties and seventies and shit like that, those did happen at college campuses because college was a like a way for you to communicate with other people who were interested in taking an active part and stuff like that. So I right. guess and, and also br- it more accessible to a bigger part of the population. Right. So when it was a lot cheaper. Yeah. I guess what I'm bringing this back around to is that whenever you hear about people's experiences with Occupy, they're often very visceral. Like that thing Alex was just talking about where like you had to walk around and shit. You kind of don't have to do that any other time unless you're playing Pokemon Go, like as you said, or whatever. And so like a lot of people had these. And I remember kind of feeling this, like just, you feel it in your body where you're like, oh, wow, I've like never really physically, my body's never felt the thing it's supposed to feel when you're like part of the human community or whatever. And something was awoken in some kind of abstract way with a lot of people where they went to occupy and like, you can read about something in a book and then remain cynical about it for a long time. And then when you see it like in person, you're like kind of overtaken with it and you're like, wow. And that's just the seed for all this stuff to happen. So the question is like, how does that play into this? You know, in the world that we live in where we're we're in our little boxes and shit. Phenomenon. Pokemon go. People are outside. They're meeting their neighbors. They're working on catching a slow bro together. They're, uh, exploring parts of their uh, city they don't usually go to. That one guy fell off of a cliff. Uh, what can we learn? What can we learn as the left in catching all of these monsters and making them fight at certain gyms? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe we have to make a Pokemon Go app that 
somehow also. But it's gonna track on to like real stuff, so it's got to be like go and find your boss and tie him up. The game, and it's on your phone. <laughs> what? Yeah. And that's, I think, uh, an important takeaway too is that what radicalizes. I don't want to say people in general because uh, the uh, I'm trying not to be absolutist about things, but because there are people who radicalized from reading theory or just things getting really bad. But those two are usually seen as the way that we, that people come into the movement and being a leftist. And I, I don't think, I think that may be true for a lot of us now, but that is historically not how you build movements just from those two things. Uh, the most, the best way is to get people actually involved in a struggle personally and, you get them to win a struggle. And this is sort of this debate I have with people who sort of see everything as uh, the universe has divided things up between reform and revolution, and you're constantly having to figure out what the most revolutionary thing to do is in every situation. Um, I don't think it's always reducible to that. Uh, and it, like right now, the best thing we can do, if we want to build a movement that is one day capable of revolution, is to have working class people uh, work in solidarity with them to win games. And those don't, those can be, I think a lot of them are going to be reforms and laws that make their lives better, like rent control and stuff, but it doesn't always have to be that. It can be, uh, unionizing a workplace. It can be, um, organizing a rent strike in your building and stopping an eviction, things that have a material impact on people's day-to-day -day lives. And if you pair that with political education, I think that's how you build a revolutionary movement. You don't do it from just planting your flag 50 feet away and saying, come, oh, come over here. We're the best option, you know, for your, your, the prospects of civilization, right? Yeah. That may be true. And people may say, ah, yeah, I guess that's right. But I'm sorry. You need to, uh, be accessible to people who aren't going to have time to, who don't have free time to give you, right? right. You have to make it, uh, you have to give them incentive to actually join on a personal level, yeah. you know, win things that actually improve people's lives. That's another That's right, thing people. about like reading all these retrospectives of like, uh, you know, 10 years later or whatever, Occupy created my journey as a, whatever. A lot of these people are talking from a really specific point of view, which is somebody who would go on to become a podcaster or a writer or whatever, which is like, yeah, you were in college or something. So f of course you have an experience that was like, wow, I'm going down there and it all feels different, but that's like an entirely different part of the equation from like you talking about these people that the whole point is to activate them, which are people who like work all the time and don't need no one don't need they don't need to be awoken to the fact that shit is real fucked up. You know what I mean? That's like, right. That's I signed kind of up for an internship experience. on the streets that year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got yeah. a lot of in-industry experience. Yeah. There's two parts of the equation, you know? Yeah. In conclusion, summer is over. The fall is here. We're done with cutting season. It's all about gains now. It's all about getting huge uh -huh. as a person and as a movement. So get out there and make sure you eat a lot of food. But not Nabisco products. But not Nabisco products. When you're doing... E Keebler products. When <laughs> <Yeah>. you're <laughs> doing your dirty bulk, don't eat cheese nips, eat cheese zits. Remember, we're going to chant that <laughs> at the next event. It's very important. It's not nips. It's, it's not, not nips. nips.
That was it's not zits. Nets. The delay is fucking me up. Uh, it's not, it, I'm sorry. It's not Nets. Is actually uh, testicles in German. Yeah, this is what that means. Okay. <laughs> and also that, if we're gonna segue into plugs, I wanted to point out that uh, that Nabisco thing. They're gonna trick you into thinking it's over. They're doing like tentative. Uh, t- keyword tentative negotiations over that right now, but that's like a thing they tr- I, they try to put wait out until you some... no longer see Danny DeVito's face in the sky. Yeah, you have to literally wait until he says it's okay for you to eat the nips. Commandante yeah. DeVito. Yeah. Um, should we do plugs and get out of here? Sure. Yes. Anybody want to start? Sunshine. <laughs> At Anders Lee here on Twitter.com. Check out our Patreon um, if you want good episodes. You don't have to, right? <laughs> We're not uh, actually. That's an undersell. Great, great it's, We got some great apps. You don't have that to. Paywall. Well, I feel yeah, like you don't have to do any of this. Uh, by the way, we're not in charge of you. Right? It's don't. You're not. <laughs> I get worried sometimes that people are going to think we're trying to, you know, hitch our little products to the movement, right? This is, we, you know, if, if you want fun, if you want entertainment and a little information, a lot of information, sign up for our Patreon. And to support and, the show. Yes, and to support yeah. the show. Yeah. Uh, but we if did just like get... the show to keep happening, consider <laughs> sending us money for the show. <laughs> We did just get a request to bring back movie of the week. Oh, nice! And uh, I just more watched the ro- the Rocketeer, which is on Disney Plus, and uh, a lot of fun. 90, 1991 classic, and it's about fighting Nazis. Um, so check that out. It's it was striking to me how much uh, how little action there was for an action movie, which is I'm fine with. Right? It was like. They take time, because it's a 30-year-old movie, they take time to actually develop the characters versus today where it's just like bang, bang, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. We uh, already know who the character is because it's the Hulk. Yeah, right. and it's there's 30 superheroes in a movie, so there's no way you could possibly develop any of them because yeah. the screen time is not there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my movie plug. Okay. For one, thrilled we're bringing back movie of the week. Uh, follow me at Patak Test Kitchen. I have some new stuff coming out soon, hopefully. Uh, my movie of the week on Netflix, there's a kung fu movie called Paper Tigers that looks like it's going to be a uh, uh, kung fu comedy. And you're thinking, oh, no, the comedy part's going to ruin the movie. There's barely any comedy. It's mostly kung fu. It's worth a watch. Nice. Also cool. has everyone's favorite trope, which is white guy who insists he's Chinese the entire movie to everyone's wow. dismay. It's very funny. Is this like Kung Pao or something? No, that's what I'm saying is it's like more of a Kung Fu movie than a comedy. It's good. Oh, okay. interesting. There's a lot of punching people in the face and knocking them unconscious. That's hmm. cool. Um, what I have to plug is, uh, my album that I recorded years ago at this point while Trump was president and about a lot of that stuff is coming out on November 5th. And it's a weird situation. Partially is this partially happened because of COVID like that just, just I had to go with a recording and didn't have any way to re-record it and stuff. So it's a snapshot in time of the material that I was doing, um, during that time, which is why it's called Bad Omen, because I recorded it right before the world fell apart. Um, 
it's coming out on November 5th on Stand Up Records, but it's going to be live streaming if you're one of those fucking freaks that listens to Sirius Radio. Sirius XM Raw Dog Comedy Channel 99. It'll be on uh, that channel on September 24th, next Friday at 2 p.m. and 10 p.m. as like a preview. So listen to that shit because... Feed your raw dog. This is also to support the show because that's how I, I make money off of that, um, which... Right. Contrary to angry people on Twitter, is completely okay for us to use to pay our bills. Um, movie of the week. I am so delighted that we're bringing movie of the week back. I have <laughs> sort of an anti-pitch. Okay, so Hulu has the rights to this movie called Heavy Metal that came out in 1981, oh. which is like often memed and shit like that. Like it's very famous because it's an animated film that's like all the women have these huge tits and it's yeah, it's like a fantasy like dungeons and dragons type thing and it's really funny i recommend watching it because at the very least there's a very hilarious like setup and not payoff which is that it starts off with like 10 warnings because it's i guess at the time a lot more shocking when it was rated so it's like graphic sex sexual sex violent sex warning rated r it's not even nc-17 and then there's this like intro where it's like 10 12 metal bands like you're gonna listen to fucking dio and cheap trick and acdc the film is not very sexual nor musical. It's really? just it's just a weird cartoon where every once in a while there's like journey in like the background, but it's still pretty good. It's still it's pretty fun. There's it's like vignettes of bizarre sci-fi stories and shit. And uh and then, it looks like an ideal thing to like leave on in the background of a bar, is that correct? Absolutely would play this at a bar. I think it would kick it would it probably improve the experience because you would actually have music playing over it and then you'd see all the cool weird tits and right. dragons and stuff. But wouldn't heavy metal be better if the soundtrack was by Drake? Yeah. <laughs> Something an experiment you can perform. <laughs> Get fucked up and watch heavy metal and dare I say even just play music instead of listening to the soundtrack because it is <laughs> stupid. It's just an eighteen year old child just like, Wow, I'm in the heavy metal movie. It's really at one point they make him clarify that he's eighteen because it's like a childlike voice and you're like, But he's fucking all these women. <laughs> Don't have sex with that child. <laughs> Heavy metal. All right. I think that's it. Yeah, and if you want to, by the way, uh, make requests like Movie of the Week, you can sign up for our Discord through our Patreon. There you go. You don't have to, though. Uh, We can't make you. Again, we can't make you do anything. Thank you for listening to the show. Okay. It's finished. I'm sorry.